This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. My name is Chris. I'm the director of Young People's Ministries. I'm in Franklin, Tennessee, working with Discipleship Ministries. I even have my official shirt on today because I was helping host meetings um, earlier this morning. And, you know you're official when you have a button-down shirt with an embroidered cross and flame in it. Uh, yes. Uh, in fact, I have one in blue and one in white, you know, because that way I can do a five-day conference and just keep rotating them and nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and not only is Jeremy one of our uh, regular co-hosts for the Youth Worker Recharge, but he's also providing the devotion today. So in case you didn't know enough about Jeremy already, uh, Jeremy is the associate pastor at Los Altos United Methodist Church in Los Altos, California. Uh, he has spent over 20 years working in youth and children's ministries and continues to train children and youth workers um, not only uh, doing that training stuff, but he also writes and speaks pretty extensively for children's and youth ministry. Uh, if you want to book him, you can pay him in Dogecoin. Um, yes. Very, yes, very please. exciting right now for people in uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, his book, The Book of Everyday Prayer, is a great option for graduation and confirmation gifts this time of year. And you can actually find a list of all of his books, articles, and resources at his website, Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, words.com. So, Jeremy, Hi. Hey, man, I know, I'm so I, I, pumped. I know you don't really get paid in Dogecoin, but I thought I'll it'd be I'll take it. And, and also, I'm just going to help you out. It's Doge. Oh, is Doge it Doge? Doge? Yeah, well, I, so, I, don't, I don't own any of that either. You've got you to gotta live in the Valley to understand how to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cryptocurrency is our jam. So this actually, if we're going to go cryptocurrency, let's get it weird <laughs> with our first question. Yes. Because in my mind, cryptocurrency is based off of the idea of perceived value, right? Like something is worth X amount of money because enough people agree that it is worth that amount of money. So when you were doing children's and youth ministry training, um, what are the things that you might lift up um, to churches or to people that you are teaching that helps build the value of a children's or a youth ministry? Uh, and that, that question comes from a place where um, I, I had a meeting earlier this week with a district superintendent that was in the Northeast jurisdiction, uh, and he wants to do a series of trainings on children and youth ministries. And I said, great, um, you know, tell me about things. And he's like, well, about 90% of the churches in our conference do not have children and youth ministries. So what's, what's the value in those? Why, why do we give the energy that we do to ministries with young people? So, you know, I think it kind of depends on your context, first off. So um, I'm just going to go with initially the sort of group that you, you talked about with um, uh, that don't have children in youth ministries. A couple of years ago, I had a, a church um, call me and, um, and they said, hey, we had a donor in our church they donated $20,000 to start a youth minister to, 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 he said to start a youth ministry. Um, that was the, and so he said, could, could you meet with me I, and talk to us about what, what do we spend $20,000 on to start a youth ministry? So we met, turns out they had a youth ministry. They had two or three kids coming 
and they had a volunteer and they were doing good stuff, right? We, I listened to what they were doing and it is the kind of things that, you know, you, you talk, you hope to see in a smaller church that's doing youth ministry, right? There's a lot of community. They're talking about faith, but in really practical terms. Um, and, uh, and they, they're, they know each other, like really know each other. They're like a little accountability group. And, um, and the pastor said, so we are right next to a, um, a middle school. And I was like, ah, oh, man, that's great. Um, and he's like, we think that if we can, um, if we can start youth ministry, which was an erroneous concept, right? That, that we will get these kids from the middle school and then their parents will come too, right? Um, that is what a lot of people think of as the perceived value in youth ministry. And like we pour, it's, you know, adults can get very adult centric. And so we're going to pour money into the kids. And yes, we, we want them to love Jesus and whatever, but we really are talking about their parents coming because their parents are what's important. Um, that's actually really bad, really poor valuing of, of right. youth industry. Uh, and it's not the way it works, right? You, you can crush it at being next door to a middle school. You can get all of the kids from the middle school to come and their parents won't come. If their parents do come, there can be a five-year 10-year lag and that kind of stuff. It's not a one-time infusion of $20,000. And when your youth ministry is the wrong size for your church, your church ultimately can't support it, right? They they will say, you know, you've got, um, you've got, so th this church had about 50 people in attendance on a Sunday and they were having three to six kids show up in youth group. Mm -hmm. That's a hundred percent. You know, you're talking, you look for five to 10% of uh, churches uh, attendance to be, you know, your youth ministry attendance. It was super healthy. I said, and what I, what I said to the pastors, like I said, you get 50 kids, let's say, right. From the middle school that has 300 kids in it. Um, and you want to go to camp. How are you going to get the volunteers and the buses and all the extra camp fees. And then when they come back and you've got a lot of kids that have done spiritual processing and you now need to follow up with 50 kids, where does that happen? And the pastor was like immediately like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's not, that's not what we're in for. Like we don't have that capacity. Um, so what I would say to those, to those churches is most, uh, not most, a lot of churches that say they don't have youth ministry do have youth ministry. There are kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews that are, that are around and that show up. And, um, and, and what youth, youth ministry is all about giving age appropriate discipleship to teenagers and, and to the teenagers. I feel like the teenagers under your care and maybe their sort of immediate friend group. That's, that's what we're doing. And so what that means is that if you have none, um, 
we have actually zero that that's that's an issue right but and we in in that case we're going to do things like we're going to make our youth ministry at that school right the school next door we're not going to ask them necessarily come here but we might do some programs there at at the school and we'll begin to develop a relationships with youth and doing discipleship with youth but not necessarily here because they're not here yet um but for most churches that's not the case there are some students around there so you the 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 value is the the kingdom value right these kids you have a relationship with them and, and the value is an impact value there's not a money value necessarily there's not an adult attendance value that you need to attach to that it is the impact value for the kingdom and so you start doing the things like we do hang out with the teenagers if there's a coffee or a ice cream place, we go do that. We're going to pay for it. Like we're going to talk to them about their life. We're going to hang out with them at, you know, after school when things are difficult. Um, and, and, and in the middle of that, we'll, we'll teach them about Jesus too. That's uh, that's such an interesting reversal for me of <clears throat> the way that I hear churches usually talk about, um, challenges to people engaging with their congregation, right? Like, I don't know how many times I've read the line, um, you know, the scariest thing somebody could possibly do is uh, step forth between the doors of your church and go through your church's front entrance because maybe they've never been there before. And, uh, you know, if we flip that around, like you're saying, youth ministry and the value that it builds is relationship within the community, right? And so Mm -hmm. I do think there's congregations out there that feel like the scariest thing they could possibly do is to go out and do kingdom work in the community in the neighborhood where they are, Um, which is interesting. It's a weird thing to be afraid of um, because that's where we're called to be, right? We are called to be sort of community transformers and be present in the the community as well. Yeah. Well, and... And and Go I think ahead. there's, you know, a, another really valuable thing is to just imagine the those families, the families of teens. If you're really feeling a, a passion, a draw to like engage with the teens in your community, what are the needs of those families, mm-hmm. and and how can our church meet those? Because you could, you know, think of it, you could do an after school program right next door to the church for middle schoolers. Middle school parents don't know what the heck to do with their kids. They don't really want them sitting at home all the time. But you know, and and that's something you could charge for. You could fund and have both sort of sustainable model with funding and, uh, and kingdom impact as well. But, you know, I think it's, it's like you said, it's, it's looking outside. And, and starting with that ask of the school, right? Like it's right, not, right. we want to offer something for all the middle schoolers. So let's build this thing before we even ask what the school yeah. needs or what the kids need. Let's go talk to the administration of that middle school that we happen to be across the street Absolutely. from today listen, we're this church of 50 people and we would love to support the students at your school and their families. So what, what do you need? What, what are things we yep. need? And Sam, you were wanting to jump in too. So, well, I was just going to say it's, it's got, it's for that kind of a mission mindset. It's, it's gotta be communicated that you're doing this, not that, that the kingdom that you're looking for in this, as Jeremy mentioned, isn't the kingdom of building more people into our congregation. You've right. got to get it to where the schools and the youth don't see this this action outside the church as they're doing this in order to get more people to come to their thing. Yeah. R- rather, yeah. it's got to be they're doing this because the people there are hungry for a more fuller experience of of the kingdom, which invo- involves young people. 
I try to, what you asked, you said that they asked you what, what good is, what is it going to help us since we don't have youth? What's it going to help us to have a youth ministry? It's going to help you to, to experience the kingdom better when you interact with young people. If you don't have any in your church, you need to be doing stuff out in the community to get to start doing stuff with young people. I don't yeah, care if and, you don't come to your church. They, they need to be doing it with them. And if, and if you're doing this, you're doing this to minister to young people, not yeah. to not for something else. I, I'll never forget. I, I really early in my ministry, uh, we had a, an event and we did one of those things. Like if there's like a raffle for something like a, it was like an iPod nano, which at that time was cool. Mm-hmm. And it was like, if you, every friend you bring, you got an extra ticket in the raffle kind of thing. Nanos are, and still, I just want to point that out. They, yes, I'm they sorry. Come back around. Yes, nanos, they're, they're like, like worse. they've like done the cycle. And yes, it's like, oh my gosh, if I could only get an iPod nano. Yeah. So this guy came and he was, uh, he was a parent of one of the kids that had been invited, but was also a parent. He, he went to her church and he pulled me aside and he told me this story of, he was invited to come to something like that by a friend at uh, uh, the, at um, at his school and when he was a teen. And he showed up and he realized that he was just there to give this kid a chance to win something. <sighs> and he never came back. He didn't come back to a church until he was an adult mm-hmm. because he realized that the church didn't care about him. That mm. kid didn't care about him that he thought the way he thought. The church didn't care about him, right? It had sort of turned mm-hmm. him into this commodity, this uh, this means to a different end that they the other end was what they valued. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and even though the church might realize they do care, that's the perception, right? That- that our youth are going to get from this is they keep harassing me about coming to this thing. They just want to be able to fill their ego stuff and yeah. be careful for how it's re- received. Yeah. Well, uh, Jeremy, thanks for taking a, a kind of a weird left turn and getting into the idea of perceived value based on uh, recent rises in cryptocurrency. I, I think that's, right. that's you know really what youth ministry is all about is we're being able to make sense dive. of what we're swimming in. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, I, I'm going to, uh, kind of position our, uh, recharge time around one of my favorite scriptures to read to kids before they go to bed at camp. Um, it's from the book of judges and it's the story of Ehud or Ehud. I don't know how you say his name. Um, so the book of Judges is this downward spiral that we see, right? Things start out maybe okay, but then they just keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and Ehud is, in, in, in the middle of this, there's a cycle that we're not going to really get into, but the cycle is, um, it, it's something bad. The people are do something bad. They have the sort of consequences for that action, and those are really bad. Then they cry out to God, and God sends a deliverer or a judge, right? That happens in this passage in Judges chapter three, um, and it's kind of the, his story of Ehud starts in around verse twelve, um, and, and the Israelites are experiencing consequences for their actions, and they have 
under the you know rule of an oppressive king. This the king's name is um, uh, Eglon, and they've been under his rule for eighteen years. And uh, the Israel's cry, they, they cry out for deliver. God sends them a deliver, and it's this guy Ehud. And there's this pat, there's this moment here. And, and by the way, the the smartest stuff of this that is I'm not I'm not in no way a biblical scholar. Um, there's a I, I got it from the this word biblical commentary and the and the Rob Bell, who some people think is a heretic and some people still like. Um, so uh, anyway, so Ehud. It says in um, in verse fifteen, it says Ehud, a left-handed man, son of Gera the Benjamite. Um, left-handed man is a sort of signal. Um, in the ancient world, uh, everything was right-handed. Like we think it's bad now. Like right-handed people, like everything is for right-handed people. Um, in the ancient Near Eastern world, um, to be left-handed was to, to be disabled. Um, and it was, it's actually a sort of, uh, in an ancient version of a politically correct term for someone who has a disability, right. Um, uh, or a different ability. So Ehud has different abilities than the other people. He's left-handed and you know how we are with left-handed people. We don't really pay attention to them. Right, we think of them as less than us because they have different abilities than us. Um, and I mean, if we're crying out for a deliverer, we know what that deliverer looks like, and they are not left-handed. Right, they have the same abilities as everybody else, and some of those abilities are pretty impressive. So, Ehud, this left-handed guy, which I mean, we know what left-handed is. Um, is sent by God as a deliverer. It is funny. Benjamite means like son of the left, son of my right hand. So there's this like wordplay there as well. Um, but so Ehud goes and um, and he goes to king to the king. Um, he's he's left handed, remember, and he hides a sword. Uh, in the place where a left-handed person would hide it on the inside of his right thigh. Right. Um, he goes up and I mean, it's really easy to tell when you're talking to a left-handed person, right. Um, there's just something slightly different about them because they have different abilities. And so there's this, there's this way that, that sometimes when you're engaging with a left-handed person, it's subconscious. You, you start treating them differently. I've watched as people will like slow down their speech or raise the, the volume of their speech because somebody has a different ability than them. Um, and that's, that's the situation as, as uh, Ehud walks up to the king's chambers. Every, nobody sees him as a threat, right? He's left-handed. We don't have to worry about left-handed people. It's sweet that the king is going to let a left-handed person come and talk to him. What a what a gracious thing for this king to do. He goes and um, and and he walks into the king's chamber with a hidden weapon. Um, and and the 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 weapon that's hidden. I, I imagine they they um 
uh, they, they searched him, right? They pat him down. They did the things that you do to make sure that the king is safe. There are guards in the room. We get the, that's in the story, right? There's people there. And, uh, uh, but he's left-handed. So they just kind of like, cat. nobody is completely not threatened. Goes in and, uh, and he is so clever. The way he talks to the king, the thing he says to the king are crafty. Like it betrays a real, um, cunning intelligence in Ehud. Um, even though everybody might uh, dismiss him, we get the sense that, okay, Ehud's, Ehud's got game, right? He's able to trick the king with a really carefully turned phrase, right? I've got a message from God for you. Um, he's like, I want to talk to the king, but I need, you know, it just needs to be us. So the king says, all right, guys, everybody, everybody leave. Now the king is alone with a person with a hidden weapon. And um, and that's it. Game, set, match. The part that you really want to read when you are putting teenagers to bed at a camp, though, is um, at that point, he, he plunges the um, uh, sword into the king, and it says the sword plunged into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, which came out his back. It's just so graphic and wonderful. It's what you want kids to be thinking as they're falling asleep. Right? No, I'm just kidding. They don't sleep at camp. This is the problem. So, um, and he gets away. There's also some really great potty humor at the end, by the way, but we'll leave that. Um, like I said, it's the perfect bedtime story at camp. But here's the thing. God didn't just use a person with different abilities, a person that other people dismissed. It was precisely his different ability. It was like exactly the thing that people dismissed him for, his left-handedness. That was the key, it was the tool that God had needed to deliver the people. Like the thing that the rest of his world thought was his weakness, God gave that to him so that God could deliver the people using it. And that I think is deeply profound. Because a lot of times the things that we and the other people around us think is our weakness, it very well could be that that is exactly the tool that God needs in order to accomplish something in your life, in the lives of the people around you. I've gotten to the place where I just keep asking, okay, I'm not good at this, or I keep failing at this. And I keep wanting to ask, okay, so is it that I need to be like everybody else says I need to be? Or is that the way God needs me to be to accomplish my purpose in the world? Um, because I think so many times we get caught up 
in what the rest of the people around us value. And, uh, and sometimes that's good and helpful, but sometimes it makes us miss out on the beauty of who God has created us to be. And of course, let's, we don't even have to go into the students in our ministry, right? There are kids who are like profoundly ADD that we dismiss because our culture does not value people with the gift of ADD. But those kids, if you want to come up with the coolest game idea, you get those kids to be pacing around a room while we're talking about it. Boom. You're going to get it. Right. You, you want, you want to have a kid that is, hypersensitive, but aware of a lot of other stuff that's going on that other people aren't paying attention to that gets distracted, distracted by it, or maybe is, has the ability to see other things, right? Talk to them. Like what, what, what happened that was weird today? I, I just think that both with us, with our ministry, it might be that we need to change our perspective. Um, and find the things that other people would consider um, deficiencies and see how God is using them in life. That's it. Jeremy, thank you. Just as a, uh, if they were interested to get back into that story, the scriptures from Judges that you were referencing are? Judges chapter 3, starting verse 12, and going you know, through uh, almost the end of that chapter. Especially if you want the bedtime story details. Cool. Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. Yeah. I've got a couple questions that, that come out of that story. Um, one of them is just the observation that uh, sometimes people get a little worried to share some of those stories from the Old Testament or ones that might have a little bit, bit of gore or detail or those kinds of things. So right. thank you for not shying away from one of those. Um, my first question has to do with uh, maybe the, I don't know, the, the crummy nature of these guards, right, and the king. <laughs> <laughs> Because, um, you know, this, this guy ends up sort of passing first inspection, right? right. Um, and is allowed into this special place armed because of his, uh, you know, being a little bit different and people carrying these assumptions, right? Um, so th- this might be too vulnerable of a question. And if it is, let me know. But, you know, are, are yeah, there... Uh, yeah, probably. Um, are there youth, you know, that have been in your ministry that looking back, you wish you had caught something on like first inspection, you know, because it, it mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I know you and I share in common with our ministry history is, you know, being able to do some youth ministry at some larger churches, right? Mm-hmm. Where yeah. I'm not necessarily able to get to know every youth as deeply as humanly possible. And if one of them happened to be left-handed and wanted to smuggle a, you know, sword in and whack me on the head, uh, maybe they could have. Um, but I don't know. Are, are there, are there things that, uh, you know, relationships you've had with youth in the past or mentorships where you you felt like you missed something and wish you had seen it earlier? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember I had a, a student who um, he. He's like just super hard, um, lots of behavior problems I and mean, just rough. 
And um, also, he seemed to be very wealthy, very entitled. I'd like all of the things that were are difficult, I think. And uh, but he was there all the time. And I can if. If I'm completely honest, there were times where I was like, it would be so much easier if he just wasn't here. And so it was in the winter. I was, we finished youth, you know, we finished church and it was super cold outside. I was driving, um, driving out um, of church and heading down the, the road and I saw him walking and, uh, but it was not where I could like get over to, to say anything to him. Um, so I, like it took me a while to get around and I, I drove up, rolled down my window and I was like, Hey, uh, do you need a ride? It's really cold. And he's like, he's like, actually, no, I'm, I'm good. And I was like, I mean, if you, if you need a ride, like I, I'm, I'm not sure it's really healthy for you. Cause he was in, sh- I should say he's in shorts and t-shirt. Right, always, yeah. Yeah, like shorts and t-shirt, flip flops, yep, and zero degrees. And so he's like, he's like, okay, yeah, yeah. And so I take him, and I take him up to like this house that's like huge, exactly what I imagined where he lived. It was strange that he didn't. Whatever. So we go back to youth that night, and he's the worst he's ever been. To the point that I say, I've got to call your mom, and. uh and he was like, no, 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 no. And I was like, I, dude, it's, it's been months of this. I can't, I, we've got, I've got to talk to your mom. And um, I called his house and he answered the phone and uh, I could hear his mom in the background yelling some of the worst, most horrible things I've ever heard someone say to anybody. And she was yelling at him. And it turns out she had a huge addiction problem. He was like, and and here's the thing. I missed it. Uh, And so he never came back. And like, I, I had, there was a real need there that I could have helped him at, but because I was so focused in on my program and the smooth runningness of it just lost nothing. I, I, nothing. There was no moment where I was like, I wonder why he's such a jerk all the time. Like, I wonder if there could be reasons for that. I wonder if maybe I should minister to that and try to help. I didn't think about that. He was just a nuisance. And uh, yeah, no, that was a, a huge moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I, I think about it all the time. Yeah. And, and thank you for being vulnerable and willing to share that too, right? The, uh, um, because I, I think that we all have those, right? Those, those opportunities that we missed and, and youth or families that did not come back after we had missed something. And so, so maybe the last question I've got for today, it, it might be kind of on the practical side too then, right? Like you, you mentioned the mindset of being able to put ourselves in a space where, we give ourselves the time or the permission or just the reminder to ask the questions about, okay, what am I missing something here? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, putting ourselves, I, I don't want to say in the position of those guards, because I don't think, 
youth ministers or like gatekeepers to positive or negative experiences or like we're not intermediaries for spiritual experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not our place to say, no, you can't have that here. Uh, But if I think about our youth as, uh, you know, growing up in a culture where vulnerability and openness is not necessarily valued, um, they're all going to be armed, right? They're all going to have these kind of hidden defenses and hidden weapons and mechanisms that um, could be ready to be triggered almost at any time. So maybe, you know, for a youth minister, what are some of the practical ways that we can give ourselves, you know, the time or, you know, build systems that, you know, might help catch more of those things and invite real relationship through that vulnerability? Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. So I think, there's a couple of really practical pieces. I think the first piece is to drill in your head. And for a while, I had like on a whiteboard in the corner of a whiteboard in my office, there's always a reason. And that was not, there's always a reason for the season, right? It was like, whatever is going on, there is there is almost, I, I, so far, I, I, I hate saying never. But so far, I haven't found a time when there was a kid who was doing something that there wasn't some something that was causing them to do something that was negative in their life, right? And and so my I, I need to go in and see the students in my ministry as, as sort of products. They're 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 swimming in a a sea of their life. And that is influencing their actions. And I need to not do what people do. Like, like what happened with Ehud is I think they, um, they dismissed him. They, Mm -hmm. they, uh, they made him into a two dimensional figure. Which we've done with teenagers, right? We do that with you. Exactly. Which is what I did with that kid, right? I just, he was just the bad kid, like the the frustration instead of always saying, okay, like, okay, first off, there's a reason for this. What could be the reason for this? And, and and to try to live into, not that we're interrogating kids, but treating them as if there is something in their life that is causing them to do the thing that is frustration, is frustrating you. Um, and it's like, I think of when people have somebody who, uh, a close family member, a friend who dies, they have like a, a pass for a while around people who know, right? And we're like, oh, it's because they're, it's because their dad died. Like that, I get it. I would be in a weird place too, right? Um, but we need to treat everybody like that, right? Oh, it's, there's something going on. I, I, there's got to be something going on. People, people don't treat people like that without something going on. Um, the other thing is um, to respond. Uh, to have relational responses to the problems. Um, and, and that's important. We, we can sometimes build in sort of rules and, um, and inst- like institutionalize or structure, make our responses structural to issues that come up, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's mm-hmm. kids who are dating and break up or, gossip or a bad or misbehavior, whatever it is, we will, we sort of externalize it and you're saying, Oh, well you violated this rule. So X, Y, Z is going to happen. But what really 
ministers and can bring transformation. Like we're, we're Methodists. We believe that transformation happens in relationship, right? So those opportunities are opportunities for deeper relationship. And so when there's a student, and, and it might not be with you, okay? It, it, you might be as triggered by whatever it is that they're doing as they are in doing it, right? Um, but if you have a student that is dealing with something, it, the, the way to bring transformation in that student's life is to help them get into a relationship that is that is helpful. And that could be also a professional counseling relationship, if, mm-hmm. depending on what's going on. Right. But, uh, but at the, at the end of the day, it's not like, all right, get out, go sit in the hall. I'm telling your mom, right. It could be sit in the back. Afterwards, we're going to have a talk. Right. And we're in a talk. Isn't like, I can't freaking believe you just keep doing this. The talk is like, Hey, I'm, I'm concerned about you. Like that's a fresh, like, however you are right now, it's making you act this way. Like I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want to feel that way. Like, is there some way I can help you? Because I, you know, and they will most likely roll their eyes, grunt and leave, <laughs> but responding sort of with the invitation and the like attempts to deepen relationship right. is, is where the, the real power is. Cause like, to not two dimensionalize somebody. The running joke in my youth group, um, because uh, I was in youth ministry before I was married and before I had kids, was that you never wanted to be on Chris's "Do Not Name His Own Kids After Your Name" list. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and so like you know, I, I love Jacob and I love Evan and I love John and I love you know, uh, it, the, the list goes on, right? Of these youth that are like, I love you, but. I, I just can't name my kid after you because you're going to, my kid's going to remind me too much of the things that you did that drove me totally nuts. Um, and so there was a little bit of humor, you know, that went with it sometimes as well, but that can really only come through that transformational relationship that you're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't agree more with the idea of, you know, not trying to oversimplify anybody that we all carry these things. Um, and it's the same for us as leaders, Right. Um, that there can be a tendency for people that are involved in our ministries, if they're youth or parents or any of that, to, uh, you know, o- almost hold us to different standards or put us up on a bit of a pedestal or assume that our lives are just always great because, you know, we're always at church. And so obviously we're always right with God and everything's just sunshine and rainbows all the time. Um, but that's not really what God promises, right? Like God, God promises transformation through relationship. God does not promise that life will always be perfect. 